It wasn't a common theme in those songs, was it, Matt? Just picked out at random? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. I hope that uh, if you're somebody that takes notes that you are prepared tonight and I hope that if you are somebody who has signed up to teach people that you will definitely take a few notes tonight because one of the things that we're going to cover tonight is something that's very basic to us maybe but to those who've never considered what the Bible has to say about it it's something that we are going to get asked questions on when you are studying with and seeking to bring lost souls to the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the first things or earlier on things that people notice about us and have questions about is the fact that we do not use instrumental music in our worship service. And that is rather a rarity in our entertainment-driven world today that we are a church that doesn't use instruments. Now, often I'll have people say to me, well, I don't know where to begin studying with people and all that. And how I usually begin is seeing if they have any questions. And this is, this is a question that can come up fairly quickly in the discussion. And so, as I said, we're a little bit of an oddity in that we don't use instruments. To express this and give you a couple of different examples, the other night we were watching a show on TV and... One of the contestants on the show said that they were a worship leader in a particular church, and they showed this, this church, and there was a full band, there were people jumping up and down, looked like the latest boy band, and they had this light show and laser show going on, they had the big screens and all of that stuff, and it was interesting, the contestant that said he was a worship leader says, now it's not a concert, we're a church. And I thought, well, that's really good that you explained that, because if we'd have had the TV muted, you'd have thought it was a concert. It's a good thing he explained the difference, because for all intents and purposes, and he had just said, you know, we have these laser lights, and we have, you know, and he's going on, but it's not a concert, you know, we, we've got a cross out front, it's a church is kind of the implication, but, you know, we giggle at that, but when you look around, that's what a lot of churches draw people in with, and so they come to us and they say, hey, what's going on with you guys? I read a story somewhere many years ago, or saw it, or heard it somehow come across it, but the idea was that somebody came into one of the assemblies and offered to help the church, thinking the church was support, they couldn't afford a piano. I've also gotten just the opposite reaction. Back when I was driving truck, invited a co-worker to come to church. And co-worker came to church, and he came there Sunday, and... <clears throat> So I thought I wouldn't push him and all of that. So didn't see him for a while at work. Didn't talk to him too much about it. So a few weeks later, I said to him, I said, hey, you know, we haven't seen each other talk. What did you think of church the other day? And he said, you guys sing too much. And I thought, well, you probably wouldn't enjoy heaven anyway, because the way I read it, we're going to be singing to God around the throne. So if singing too much is an issue, that probably ain't going to work for you. You see, reactions to our a cappella music is both varied and widespread today when it comes to those people who have never been taught why we do what we do the way we do it. But, you know, it's always been that way. If you look up, it's interesting, if you look up the word a cappella, look it up. Any dictionary, any app you want. If you look up the word a cappella, you will find that what it means in the Latin is the music of the church. That's what a cappella means, the music of the church. Why did they need a term 
to signify the music of the church for these people that sang without instruments. I'll tell you why. Because even in Jesus' day, that was new. That was a new thing. That these church people got together and sang without accompaniment. They sang from their hearts. They sang for all the reasons we're going to cover tonight. But they didn't have leers and they didn't have symbols and they didn't have all these other things. And the fact is that religions of those days were used to instruments. But God wanted a more spiritual music, a music that came from people's hearts and minds as they engaged one another and encouraged one another. It was a whole new different way of doing things. Hence, it developed its own term, the music of the church, a cappella, because the churches were so different. But you know, even within and amongst our own brotherhood, some of our young people that grow up in the church have apparently never been taught the truth as to why we don't use instruments. You see a whole generation in some cities across America today where churches are using instruments and, and the people there don't know, they've never been taught the truth as to why we don't use instruments. Number one, not using instruments is not a matter of personal opinion. Some congregations say, well, that's just our tradition. Now, if what they mean by that is that that is a tradition handed down by the apostles by divine inspiration, then they're right. That is our tradition. That is the tradition God laid down. Remember, tradition is neither a good word nor a bad word. God's traditions are right. He tells us, Paul tells us in a letter to the Thessalonians that we are to go by the traditions handed down or written by the apostles, yes. But man-made traditions are wrong that supersede God's. Now, if what a person means when they say, well, that's just our tradition, that, that that's just the Church of Christ thing, and we just kind of do it because we've always done it that way, that's, that's not right. That's not why we don't use instruments. We don't use instruments as a matter of personal opinion, or a matter of personal preference, or a matter of our man-made tradition that we've come up with. Let's face it, folks, I'm telling you right now. If instrumental music or a cappella music was simply a matter of personal choice, I play an instrument. Probably I'd be one of the first ones to say, hey, let's have a band. But it's not a matter of personal opinion. It's not a matter of personal preference. What it is a matter of is this. That is our a cappella music. It is a matter of love and reverence and respect and adoration for the Lord our God and for His stated black and white book, chapter, and verse instructions as to the kind of music He wants in His worship. That's why we don't use instruments. It's that simple. I've often explained it this way, and I know some of you are probably tired of this illustration, particularly my family, but here we go again. Stay with me, we'll get through it quickly. If Karen says to me, Doug, there's this one pair of really nice knitting needles that I want for my birthday. And so... I get up in the morning, and I go into the bathroom, and I get ready to shave, and right there on my mirror, there's a picture of these knitting needles. There it is. Complete with catalog, order number, sizes, price, where to get them, and all. And it's like, okay, I take a hint. So I come out of the bathroom, and I go out, and I sit down to have my coffee. And right under my coffee maker, there's another, hey, this set of knitting needles. There's the price, the order number, where you can order them, the whole thing. I go, okay. I may be a man, but I think I got this, right? I go out to get into the car, and sitting right there over the speedometer, there's another picture. Same knitting needles. 
I get to the office and on the clip on the back of the door, she's been down here the day before and she's put up the same sign. Do you think, guys, we'd get the picture by then? How many times does, she, does our wife have to tell us, I want this? Or vice versa. Well, let me tell you what. If I get home that afternoon, we get through this, and I get nine different pictures. Nine pictures that are all the same. I'm not going out and buy her a new spade to dig in her flower bed. Okay? God Almighty, in His Word, has told us nine different times exactly the gift that He wants musically in worship. Not once, not twice, not three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times in the New Testament do we see the gift that God says, this is what I want. You, you really love me? You really want to give me something? This is what I want right here. Nine times. So if we love God, like husbands, we love our wives, we're not going to go out and try to give them something different. They've made it so easy. Well, God's made it real easy too. And you know what God said nine times? Sing. Sing to me. That's what I want. I want more. Than, I want you to sing to me. I want you to sing from the heart. I want you to sing when you're happy. I want you to sing when you're sad. I want you to sing with the mind. I want you to sing with the understanding. I want you to sing with joy. Sing to me, God says. That's what I want from you. Let's take a look. Turn to me in your Bibles tonight, James 5 and verse 13. We're going to notice some things here. James 5 and verse 13, please turn there. I want us to see, as we read this, that prayer is as much a natural response to suffering as singing is a natural response to cheerfulness. James 5, 13. James writes, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Now you will agree that if you're suffering, prayer is an awesome thing, right? Prayer is a, is a wonderful thing if you're suffering. In the same text it says, Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Again, prayer is as much a natural response to suffering as singing is a natural response to cheerfulness. That should be our consistent response in every case. And we know this from practical everyday illustration. If you see somebody walking down the road, and they're down, they're going down the sidewalk. They're going in and they're singing. Do you think that person is miserable or happy? Singing is generally a sign of somebody's happy, like whistling, right? There's a sign just start tonight about an hour ago. Bumper sticker on the back of a car up on the street we live in. And, and I kid you not, I backed up to just make sure. And I thought, I'll use that tonight. On the back, there's this yellow and black sign, bumper sticker, and it says, Caution, driver singing. What does that signify to you? That they're miserable? No. It signifies that they're happy. James said, if you're cheerful, sing. Sing to God. Tell Him how happy you are. Many of the Psalms you may see footnoted in your Bible, it will say, Song of Ascents. And, and those were songs that the Jews sang as they ascended up toward Jerusalem. They were going to worship. They were happy. They were singing. I remember when our kids were little, on the way to church on Sunday morning, we'd sing songs. Do you suppose it would help us any to prepare for worship if on the way to church in the morning we sang songs? Sang God's praise. Can we still do that as adults, two, three of us, same car? Can we sing on the way to church? We ought to. 
There was some tyrant I remember reading about years ago. I don't know if it's Stalin, Lenin, Hitler, or who it was, but I read about a quote. He said that he didn't listen to much music because it made him soft. Music makes us joyful, and when we're joyful, we ought to make music sing. We also see singing in the scriptures as something that Jesus and his disciples did. Not only do we see it in times of cheerfulness, as James wrote, but Jesus and his disciples often sang when they were facing life and death struggles, as well as when they were cheerful or grateful. Why sing when you're facing a life or death struggle? Why did they sing, Jesus and the disciples, when they were facing life and death struggles? Well, maybe to strengthen them. Maybe to solidify their resolve, or maybe simply to remind them who was in control. If you're facing a terrible thing, and you start singing psalms and hymns of praise to God, and you remind yourself of who is in control, isn't that a good way to go into that struggle? That's what happened in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30 and in Mark chapter 14 and verse 26 where the scripture says when they had sung a hymn they went out to the Mount of Olives. That night before Jesus was crucified as he was there in the shadow of the cross and would be arrested in the garden of Gethsemane that night on the way out to the Mount of Olives and he knew John 18:4 Jesus knew all things that were going to happen to him. He'd been talking about how he was going to be arrested and how he was going to be scourged and beaten and spat upon. He knew all that stuff and he knew as he headed out with his disciples to the garden of Eden to the Mount of Olives he knew that night what was coming and what's Jesus doing? Facing all of that, he's singing. He's singing. Turn to me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Very familiar passage and the fourth of our singing verses, as it were. We know the story, but please turn there anyway. We see in Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 16, we see Paul and Silas as recorded by their traveling companion Luke at that time, who had joined them in Troas, according to verses 8 and 9 of Acts 16. We see that in Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 16, it reads as follows. Now it happened, as we, as I said, Luke was with them, as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed... It was driving him nuts, okay? It just, there he is. He, she, she followed them and it just greatly annoyed him. He turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. They seized them. They grabbed them. They dragged them. That was not pleasant. And they brought them to the magistrates, and they said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. They're telling the local governing authorities, you've got to do something with these guys. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. I want you to understand this was not pleasant. Their clothes were, how would you like to walk out of here tonight and have your clothes ripped from your body and people with baseball bats to just beat you right into the ground? That's, that's what they went through. This was not, oh, happy day. This was a horrible beating that they took. 
And when they had laid many stripes on them, verse 23, many stripes, not just a few, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Again, as we've talked about before, the inner prison would be like the dungeon, no daylight, down where the rats and all of that were, just the, the sewer of, of a Roman prison. And they're put down there and they're put in these instruments of torture. They can't set up without it hurting. They can't lay down without it hurting. It's an instrument of torture. They've been beaten. They've had their clothes ripped off of them. They've had many stripes and bruises put on them. They've probably got broken bones. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were singing. Would you sing in that situation? You know what? If I'm singing hymns to God at that point, it's reminding me who's in control. Did you ever get in a real dark place and you needed somebody to remind you who was still on the throne? Have you ever been? I've been there, okay? As these men sang hymns and sang psalms, they were reminding themselves who God was even in their darkest hour. You know, singing together and singing to one another in the worship assembly. Listen, church. Singing together and to one another in the worship assembly is something that God himself, in his infinite wisdom, he knew that our singing together and to one another and to him, he knew in his infinite wisdom that that would strengthen us that it would solidify us, that it would encourage us, that it would unify us, His children, in a way that no entertainment event with instrumental accompaniment or a professional few singing up front to the church could ever do. God knew in His wisdom that we would find more strength and unity and encouragement if we'd sing to one another as like-minded, saved children of the living God. More so that would pull us together than any band or group of professional quote-unquote singers singing to the rest of us just to entertain us. And we're going to see that in the final five references in the New Testament. The first one... And number five in our discussion out of nine is Romans chapter 15. Please turn there and begin with me. Not just with the verse that says it, but the verses leading up to it. Romans 15, please turn there. I want you to see God's wisdom. I want you to see the thrust of this. I want you to see that, that God is trying to get his people strengthened and unified because he knows they need this encouragement. He knows they need to be together. And he knows that singing to one another is something that helps to accomplish that. Romans 15 and verse 5. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. This is all about glorifying God. When we glorify God together with one mouth and one mind, that's when he receives glory. Verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. In other words, hey, the Gentiles are going to glorify God too. They're going to get in on this just as it was written. What was written? For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. He said, hey, you Gentiles, 
You're part of this great plan that God's got for everybody to glorify Him with one mouth and with one mind. As you come together as a church, Jew and Gentile, and you sing God's praise. This is what the prophets were talking about. You sing and you glorify God. And again he says, verse 10, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, load Him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, There will be a root of Jesse, and he'll rise up to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. They were doing it with one mind and one mouth. Together they were singing in the assembly. Read it again in verses 5 through 13. You know, the Jews and the Gentiles were enemies for a long time. When they were called together in the worship assembly to sing, to commune together, to take of the bread and the fruit of the vine... To worship God together as blood-washed children all under the same new covenant. That united and strengthened them and it glorified God. In discussing in 1 Corinthians 14, if you would turn there, in discussing the gift of tongues to the first century church of Christ there in Corinth, the Apostle Paul uses singing as an illustration as he's talking about speaking in tongues. His main topic is tongue speaking, but again, to use the musical illustration, in 1 Corinthians 14, beginning at verse 12, he says this, Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Before we go any further, you say, that verse doesn't have anything to do with singing. No, but we'll get there. Just hang in there with me. Verse 12, Paul is letting them know, that the main thing they ought to be concerned with is edifying, building up one another. That's the whole point. That should be the whole point of tongues. And if tongues, in this chapter, his point is, if tongues aren't done right and under the right circumstances with the right people present, it's not going to edify the church and it's pointless to do it. The whole point is you need to edify the church. That's the priority. That's what you're trying to accomplish. Therefore, verse 13, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I'll pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he doesn't understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Again, the beginning of that passage I just read and the end of it is all about edifying the church. And although he's talking about speaking in tongues and what needs to be done, he says you also need to sing with your mind. You need to sing with the understanding. You need to understand what you're singing and you need to sing out. Why? Well, for the same purpose that you speak in tongues right. You need to speak in tongues right under the right circumstances, just like you need to sing under the right circumstances with your mind involved. Why? So that you edify the church. Let me ask you a question. How many of you this year, let me rephrase that question. Did any of you that went to affirming the faith this year, were you terribly, terribly disappointed because only 1,200 Christians were singing together? It was beautiful, wasn't it? Powerful. When you got a person that's as far away as that stool who's a loud singer and you can't hear them because the place is just so full of beautiful Christian singing, it is an encouragement. It is strengthening. It is, it, it just, it, it's a wonderful, powerful thing. It's for the edification of the church. We sing to edify one another. 
If you turn with me, of course, to Ephesians chapter 5, a very familiar passage. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 15, reads as follows with our next case of singing. He says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And remember, we have to take verses in their context, a little before them and a little after them, if we can. Paul says, Don't be foolish. You need to make the best use of the time, verses 15 and 16. Well, okay, Paul, how do we do that? Well, verse 17, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's how you make the best use of time. And don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Make the best use of the time. Understand what God wants. God wants you to be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Be filled with the Spirit. How do we do that? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. When you have a group of Christians and they are together and they are excited about what God has done for them and they are singing from the heart and they are singing with joy and they are singing with gratitude and they are giving God all the praise. That's encouraging. And you know the trouble when people have bands? It drowns all of that out. It's like, I don't know what it's like. It's awful. <laughs> Nowhere in these verses does God say play. Every one, he says, sing or praise God with the mouth. He never says to praise God in the New Testament, this singing of the church, this music of the church. He never says with a harp or lyre or flute. This new covenant is so much more spiritual and everybody sings from the heart. That's why we don't have instruments. Here's another instance of God saying, Sing to me. Speak to one another. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think that makes God happy? Verse 20. Yes. Yes. God says nine times, I told you what I want. And when you sing and you're excited and you're grateful and you're singing together and you're encouraging one another, God says, I love that. We see it in Colossians chapter 3. Please turn there. Here's our next example. And you're probably going to need all nine of these because people are going to ask. Hopefully. Colossians 3 and verse 12. Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. These are what Christians do. This is what makes it so wonderful to be around faithful Christians because they have that kind of attitude. But he says there's something even more important. This is similar to 1 Corinthians 13 where he says, you know, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Paul's going to say, but there's, there's something else. There's something even higher. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Love one another and be thankful that you don't have to live like you used to live and you don't have to face what you used to have to face as far as eternity. Be grateful and love one another. And then look what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. People, 
that love in verse 14, that peace in verse 15, that gratitude in verse 15 would not be possible without the grace of God. Amen? All comes from the grace of God. And so he says, this is what you do. You sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You teach each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs singing. He never says play. He says sing. Sing to one another. When we sing songs that tell one another how grateful we are that we've been washed in the blood or, or that God died for us or how amazing His grace is, that's how we share that grace. That's how we learn God's Word. Say, wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to learn God's Word from the preacher. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think little kids in Bible class learn to sing the books of the Bible? I want you to think about that. Why don't they just memorize the 66 books first? But you know, both Bible classes don't work that way. We have them sing them first. In fact, if you ask some little kids who have been in Bible class, can you tell me what the 66 books of the Bible are? They'll start singing the song, won't they? Am I right? They start singing the song instead of quoting the books. Why? Because when you put something to music, I don't know why, I'm not a psychologist, but when you put something to music, it sticks better. Okay? So when we put God's message to music, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and we put that to music and we sing to one another, we retain the message better. Don't we? You ever caught yourself singing a song not even thinking about it? Oh, oh yeah, I, yeah that, I know what that means. Do you suppose God in His wisdom as our Creator knew when He created us that if we sang the messages they'd stick better? you suppose God knew that? I'm, I think I'm on pretty safe ground saying, yeah, God knew that. And so we sing to one another. That's how we teach one another. It's not just from the sermons. We that's what God says right there. He says, look, you teach one another and admonish one another. This is how you get the Word of Christ in you to dwell in you richly in all wisdom. You sing to one another. How terrible it would be for a full band. And I love music, by the way. Don't get me wrong. Those of you that really know me really know that. And I'm talking instrumental music in non-Christian songs. But what a terrible thing it would be to have music that drowns out or takes away or, or people performing music where they get the glory instead of the words of these songs that God's trying to impress on our hard drive. To drown that out would be terrible. And God knew that. The final passage I would like for us to go to is in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 13. Would you please turn there before we close? Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. I want you to really take a look at this text. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels... For the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. You say, what's that got to do with singing? Stick with me. Verse 10. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Don't skip right over verse 11 just because it doesn't say something about singing. Look at that real close. Both he who sanctifies, that is Jesus, and those who are being sanctified, that's you and me, are all of one. We're brethren with Jesus Christ if we're in Christ. Isn't that an awesome thing? Co-heirs with Christ. Children of the Heavenly Father. 
For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. I, I still, this verse makes me want to just shudder with joy. Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior who went to the cross for all of us, is not ashamed, Granville, to call you his brother. He's not ashamed to call you Eva his sister. He's not ashamed to call you Bryce his brother. He's not ashamed of me. Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call us his brethren, his family members, his spiritual siblings. That is just the most powerful verse. But then look what it says. Saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. What is the point? The point is this. Jesus is not ashamed of us. And when we are singing in the midst of the assembly, Jesus is spiritually there singing praise to God with us. Look those verses over for yourself when you get home. See that message there. Jesus is amongst us as we sing God's praise in the midst of the assembly. He is here with those that he is not ashamed to call brethren, singing God's praise as well. He says, I will declare your name to my brethren. Powerful. We talk about Jesus being with us as we gather about the table. Jesus is with us declaring God's praise as we sing according to this passage. Folks, there are nine New Testament commands, examples, or instructions where we see Jesus and his apostles, or the writer of Hebrews, if it's not one of the apostles, commanding and carrying out God's will, whether they are cheerful or fearful, whether they're in the worship assembly or not. Singing God's praise. God wants every single one of His children. Not some little group up front. When, when we read from Ephesians and Colossians, those instructions are written to the whole church. It says, sing to one another. I want all of you singing. I want you to sing with joy and excitement and gratitude in your hearts. God wants every single one of his children to sing his praise. God says, this is what I want. He told us nine times. I want you to sing my praise, God says, from your heart and from your mind, from a mind of love and gratitude and understanding. When people ask us, why don't you have instruments? I'll tell you why. Because I love God and I'm not judging anybody else, but I'll tell you right now. If my Heavenly Father says to me once that the gift that He wants from me in worship is for me to sing to Him, that's all it takes. And He told me nine times over, I want you to sing. Do you think... Do you think... Loving my wife the way I do, if she goes to that problem, if she goes to that nine times with those knitting needles, I'm going to buy her a socket set? Ain't happening. And do you think if Jesus Christ, who gave his blood on Calvary for a wretch like me, for a sinner like me, that doesn't deserve to be in God's presence, if that God says to me nine times, Doug, what I want from you for music is I want you to sing your heart out to me in worship. Do you think I'm going to try to come up with a different idea? Ain't happening. I'm going to sing because God says... 
This is what I want. If I love him, I'll give it to him. So when you're asked that question, you now have the answer. You might not have to put it quite as loud as I did, but that's the answer. If you're here tonight, you're not a member of the Lord's Church. You're not a member of that saved group of people the way God said you've got to do it. We know you've got to hear the word and believe it and be willing to confess Christ as Lord. You've got to be willing to repent of your sins, to turn your life around. You've got to be baptized specifically for the forgiveness of those sins, and you have to live faithful. If there's anybody here tonight that needs any help or prayers or assistance with any of those things... Come forward in a moment as we stand and sing, but if there's anybody here, again, that needs prayers for strength as you go into some of these Bible studies, I'm hoping that whoever has closing prayer, please continue to pray. We are not done praying. We have only begun to reach out to the people in this community. Let us continue to pray, as I appreciated Tom doing tonight, that we might be able to help other souls to come in and sing his praise as his children. If you have a need, do you come to the front as we stand and sing?